testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Slayer Podcast. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. Corn rate killer Todd Mullis, I think, will be the next staircase murder. If you aren't familiar with the corn rate killer, it's an episode I covered when I first started the podcast about Iowa farmer Todd Mullis, who was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of his wife, Amy Mullis. He requested a new trial due to new potential evidence coming to light regarding the medical examiner's ruling on his wife's death. I'm just going to recover the entire case because it was one of the first cases I ever did on the podcast, and let's just say I was less than impressed by myself. With that being said, I just want to thank everybody who's listened to the podcast either all the way through or has been with me since day one. It's been such a fun journey, and I love it. So I know we had a rough start. Thank you guys for hanging in there. Before I get started, I just want to say I think that the corn rate killer case will have the same outcome as the Michael Peterson case. Michael Peterson was the guy whose wife was found bloody at the bottom of their staircase, and he was immediately accused of murdering her based mostly on circumstantial evidence. After serving a long time in prison, Michael's defense acquired new evidence supporting an alternative theory to his wife's death that raised enough reasonable doubt he was offered an Alford plea. That's when you basically say, okay, I'll say I did it because you have enough evidence against me, and then you get a shorter sentence or, in his case, immediate release. I anticipate the new evidence for the Todd Mullis will get a new trial and a shorter sentence at the very least. So let's dive into the Todd Mullis murder case. And this case was requested based on the new evidence by a Todd Mullis supporter. So for anyone interested, there's a Facebook group called Todd Mullis is Innocent, and there you'll find extensive information on the new evidence and alternative theories to Amy's death that I'm going to talk about. I warn you, though, they do not take kindly to people who think Todd Mullis is innocent, so please behave yourselves. Before I get started, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your hostess, Haley Lira. You can find photos and information pertaining to this case and other cases on my Facebook page, Storytime Slayer, or my Insta, Story underscore Time underscore Slayer. Go ahead and leave a five-star review. We have a lot to cover, so let's just jump in. November 10th, 2018, Todd Mullis called 911 at about noon. His wife, Amy, had been in an accident on their farm and was seriously injured. While getting chores done, Todd and his oldest son found Amy in a shed on their property, kneeled over with a corn rake sticking out of her back. In a panic and unable to get Amy out of the shed with the rake still in her, Todd removed the rake, pulled Amy out of the shed, and then loaded Amy into the truck on her son's lap and headed to the hospital. When he pulled out of the driveway, he called 911, and the operator actually had Todd pull over and start performing CPR on Amy while she dispatched local paramedics to him. EMTs made it to Todd and Amy on the side of the road at about 12.11. Amy was lying in the passenger seat of the truck, fully reclined back, and Todd wasn't giving her mouth-to-mouth, but he was doing chest compressions. Once there, paramedics took over, and Amy was taken by ambulance to the nearest hospital. Some family friends coincidentally drove by the scene and took Todd and Amy's son home. Tristan was only 13 when all of this happened. Amy had multiple puncture wounds on her back and rib cage, deep ones. When asked what happened, Todd said he didn't know. He maintained he just found her hurt with a corn rake sticking out of her back. He thought that maybe she fell on it. Amy was pronounced dead at 108. Her cause of death was from injuries sustained to her torso from the corn rake. You guys... 
A corn rake is no ordinary yard rake. It has four pointed sharp spikes that stick out. And each one of these four metal spikes are about nine inches long and they're spaced apart about two inches. So the total width of the rake head is around nine inches. Amy underwent an examination at the hospital following her death, and then on November 12, 2018, she was transported to state medical examiner and forensic pathologist Kelly Cruz. Dr. Cruz was brand new. She had less than four months of experience under her belt. Cruz identified six sharp force puncture wounds from the corn rake. To keep things simple and organized, she labeled the injuries A, B, C, D, E, and F. Before I break it down, Cruz basically theorized wounds E and F were made from one strike, possibly. A, B, C, and D were likely made from another strike, but it could have been two others. A, B, and C being a strike and D being its own strike. For my evidence nerds, I'm going to break this down briefly. And to help you not get confused, there are photos. You can find them anywhere, but I will post some to kind of help you organize where each strike was. You can take a look at that. Poke A is where we're going to start. That's the puncture wound on the top right of Amy's back. So that entered into Amy's chest cavity through her ribs, front chest cavity, hitting her breast tissue and into her breast implant. Poke B to the left of poke A, entered Amy's soft tissue, chest cavity, and into her ribs, hitting her right lung in two spots, her diaphragm, and puncturing her liver. Poke C penetrated Amy's soft tissues, muscle, and back, but did not enter her chest cavity. And poke D only entered soft tissue. Poke E, which was to the left of poke C, entered Amy's left side of soft tissue into her chest cavity and through two ribs. Poke F went through Amy's skin tissue and into her chest cavity. Now, the Emmy said that the wound paths were in two directions. Like I said, A, B, C, D likely happened in one hit from, quote, back to front. That means if your victim is standing upright and looking straight forward, the object went through her back towards the front of her body. And it said that this was done at a right angle from left word down. The left wound, E and F, are also, quote, front to back and also right to left at their angle, but with a more upward swing. I don't know exactly what the Emmy meant by a more upward swing, but I'm assuming maybe she thinks Todd had swung it from a higher angle during his second strike. Dr. Cruz said in her opinion, Amy was hit with the rake at least two times because ABC were from a different angle than E and F. The reason she thinks that Amy could have possibly been hit a third time is that puncture wound D was sort of below Amy's armpit and not perfectly in line with ABC or E and F. On top of the puncture wounds, Amy had what looked like to be blunt force trauma on her face, hands, and knees consistent with possible defensive wounds. Amy had a scrape on her lip, a scraping contusion on her left jaw that indicated blunt force trauma, and scrapes on her ear. I think it was her left ear specifically. Now, They did say that ear injuries could have been caused from an earring Amy had been wearing at the time. Amy also had bruising on her chest that was consistent with blunt force trauma. Dr. Cruz said Amy ultimately died from air and lung leaking into her chest cavity and putting pressure on her heart. With nothing to alleviate the pressure, it caused Amy to die. A lot of people get hung up on this, but regardless, I mean, come on, I just outlined all seven of her very serious injuries. The ultimate cause of death was sharp force injuries in her torso and chest cavity, and the manner of death was ruled a homicide. 
The Emmy maintained she could not speak to what caused Amy's blunt force trauma. Just remember, sometimes when you hear the word blunt force trauma, you automatically think somebody was hit forcibly, like bludgeoned. Um, But this is actually just a term for sustaining a blow, whether accidental or not. So don't hear blunt force trauma and just assume she got the shit beat out of her with a bat. I mean, blunt force trauma could be if you were to fall and seriously hit your elbow hard against something, right? That creates blunt force trauma. As far as the blunt force injury to Amy's hands, chest, and face, they were sustained close to Amy's death, and you could tell that by the hemorrhaging. So no, those were not old injuries. There's multiple photos taken of Amy's back, her clothing, and the corn rake. The only evidence collected from Amy that's pretty common in a murder investigation were her fingernail clippings to see if there was any DNA under them. However, nobody tested the clippings. And this is where things get really jacked up to me. Police said if they tested the clippings and Todd's DNA was under there, it didn't really prove anything because there's a million reasons why her husband's DNA would be under her nails. Plus, due to the weather and time of year, police said whomever did this was likely fully clothed anyway. I think that's sloppy police work. I also want to point out that it's later mentioned the M.E. Dr. Cruz did not even go to the red shed and look around before making her rulings, which really surprised me, too, because this wasn't a crime that happened decades ago. I mean, this was in 2018. When Todd's family heard about Amy's death, they told him to check his cameras. And I find it really bizarre that until that moment, it never occurred to Todd to check his damn cameras. Todd said that was because none of the cameras showed the red shed Amy was found at. When Todd checked the cameras, they'd been down from sometime near the end of October, I think October 26th, until November 11th, the day after the incident. Todd said the wind must have blown down the satellites, which happened all the time. I don't care. That's still so weird to me. With the Emmys ruling, police seriously needed to get to know the Mullis family and what exactly happened that day. So November 16th, police set up an interview with Todd. And Todd was really chill and pretty open. Todd and Amy Mullis met in 2002 at a fair. They both grew up farming, definitely outdoorsy country people who love to hunt and fish and things like that. After 14 months of dating, the couple got married in 2004 and had three kids together. A son named Tristan, who was 13 at the time Amy died. A daughter, Taylor, who was 11, and Wyatt, who was 7. Todd was a farmer, and this was no small farm, you guys, okay? On Todd's property was a big hog farm. So they had two barns the length of football fields for pigs and piglets. And Todd's extended family lived all around him, quote, Within two miles is the crow flies, his relatives said. So his relatives also had large-scale farming operations. This included cows, soybeans, crops, timber, and more. And because the Mollusmen all lived so close, it was not uncommon for them to go to each other's properties and help maintain their farming operations regularly. Basically, they were at each other's properties all the time. As for Amy, she used to be an RN, but she left her job in 2013 to be at the farm with the family more. Before that, they only had one pig barn. They built the second barn to supplement the income they lost when Amy quit working at the hospital. As for Amy, she stayed really involved in her children's lives, but she also did some stuff for herself. She started working part-time at an embroidery shop in 2014, and she had a pretty healthy social life. So it seemed like they lived a more traditional lifestyle. Todd had a larger hand on the farm work. Amy had a larger hand with the kids and homemaking. That's not to say that they didn't help each other and that she never worked on the farm. That's just how they divvied up their primary responsibilities. 
When police asked Todd about the state of his and Amy's marriage, he was honest with police and said that he and Amy had a rough patch in 2013 before she quit her job. The reason Amy wanted to quit her job and be home more was actually because she had an affair with a coworker. That is what truly led to Amy quitting her job and spending more time with the family. Todd insists it was Amy's idea to quit and repair their relationship, but others say that Todd made Amy quit. Regardless, following the affair, Todd said that the couple did counseling for a short period of time, very short, but it helped tremendously. Todd claims they were more open and connected than ever before. Todd also said that the counselor suggested Amy keep Todd updated on where she was and what she was doing at all times for his peace of mind. So Amy took it upon herself to literally tell Todd where she was at and what she was doing all the time because she wanted to. Okay. When police asked Todd if he had anything else he wanted to tell them about their relationship in his interview, he said no. However, that was not true. Todd was withholding information. Even though Todd said their relationship was stronger and better than ever, it was actually hanging on by a thread. Amy was having another affair and police knew that Todd was suspicious. Here's what police knew. Amy had been sleeping with the Mullis Farm manager, Jerry, and Amy was really unhappy and planning to leave Todd right before she died. What happened was Amy and Jerry, her boyfriend, had a flirtationship that eventually led to an affair that turned physical in May of 2018. Jerry had worked for the Mullis family like seven years. Jerry said him and Amy communicated mostly over text and met up to have sex when they could. Sometimes in a barn, sometimes off a gravel road, in a hotel for an hour, just wherever. Sometimes once a week, sometimes a couple times a week. They were getting it in wherever, whenever. They spoke a little bit about being together in the future, but not in depth. I gather that for Amy, it was more emotional. And for Jerry, it, I think it was about sex. Todd quickly grew suspicious of Jerry and Amy, though, when he saw hundreds of texts and phone calls between them. Todd didn't really know what to do, so he actually confided in a couple people, including Amy's stepmom, Eileen, that he thought Amy might be cheating on him with Jerry. He asked Eileen for advice, and she suggested that he contact Jerry's wife. Todd did reach out to Jerry's wife, and she didn't believe him. She thought Todd was weird and actually blocked him on Facebook. Then Todd confronted Jerry. Jerry insisted they were not having an affair and claimed the excessive communication was about their kids' activities. Amy was asking Jerry about 4-H because his kids participated in 4-H. And Jerry was asking Amy about gymnastics because she had a daughter in gymnastics. Todd claims he believed them. Y'all, there is no effing way that he believed that, okay? After Todd got suspicious, Jerry and Amy decided to start communicating over email instead. Jerry said he tried to cool things off significantly, but you could definitely tell Amy was still like holding on a little bit tighter. On top of this, police had learned from other sources Amy wanted to leave Todd, which I'm going to totally fill you guys in on in a minute. Let's get back to Todd's interview. So police knew Todd was lying about the state of his and Amy's relationship when he said everything was better than ever all the way up to her death. Police asked Todd, well, how are things between you and Jerry? And Todd said, great. Rather than call Todd out for lying, the officers questioning Todd at the time decided that they would just step out of the room and go get some water. And when they came back to the interview room, Todd immediately confessed that, yes, he was suspicious Amy might have been having an affair with Jerry 
because they were talking a lot, but he maintained that he cleared things up with Jerry and everything was on the up and up and he didn't think she was actually having an affair. Hmm. A lot of wheels are turning. Let's outline the nitty gritty between Todd and Amy in order of events and then we can go over like the evidence in the first trial. The first account I can find of someone mentioning Amy saying she was unhappy came from her brother. He said after having Wyatt in 2010, Amy confided in him that she was truly unhappy. But I mean, she just had a baby. Sometimes you feel that way after having a baby. The next account I heard was her telling someone she was really unhappy in 2017. Amy confided in her friend Angie Burr, who she'd been friends with about four years It was the winter of 2017 that Amy first told her she was unhappy and really wanted to leave Todd, but she wouldn't because she didn't want to leave her kids. The next major event on the timeline is May 2018. That's when the affair with Jerry starts. June, Todd got suspicious, and July is when Jerry was confronted about the affair, and Todd claims he believed them when they said there was no affair and moved on with his life. June 28, 2018, Amy told her friend Patricia she was very unhappy in her marriage and had been for many years. She confided in Patricia about her affair in 2018 and the one she was currently having with Jerry. She told Patricia she hoped to eventually marry Jerry. Over the next months, Amy continually told Patricia things weren't getting any better and she was still unhappy. One time she texted Patricia and said Todd was really worked up because Amy wouldn't show him a text message that she sent to Patricia. Amy probably didn't want to show him because it was either about leaving Todd or her affair. Patricia brought up divorce and asked if Todd would agree or want a divorce and Amy told her no. Todd wouldn't want a divorce because he would lose half of everything and also Todd thought divorce was socially unacceptable. But Amy talked about plans to go forward with a divorce after Jerry's daughter graduated high school. Patricia asked Amy why she stayed with Todd till then. And Amy said that she was afraid Todd would kill her if she wanted a divorce. And she also said she was afraid Todd would kill her if he found out about her affair. So she stayed with him out of fear. Summer of 2018, Amy's family experienced a tragedy that caused Amy to be gone most of the summer. Amy's grandma had been hospitalized. Originally, Amy left to go see her grandma in the hospital, but she died that same day, and Amy ended up having to stay to help her mom with arrangements in the aftermath of her grandma's death. So for 30 of the next 60 days, Amy was out of town. While gone, she confided in her brother that she wanted to leave Todd, but was going to wait until after harvest season. She said that she was afraid to tell him because she didn't know how he would react, and her brother told her she should just have someone there when she tells him. He also agreed to store some of her grandma's belongings like furniture so Amy would have some stuff when she left Todd. So it sounds like she was formulating a pretty serious plan of action to leave. While Amy was gone, Todd was really frustrated with the amount of workload it put on him. It was during harvest season so he had to juggle the farm, the household, um, just during a very busy time. When Amy came home from her family ordeal, she went to pick up her son Wyatt from Todd's mom's house and y'all... Todd's mom went off on Amy. She called her a bad mom, said she was abandoning her kids. She tried not to even let Amy take Wyatt with her. Amy was pissed. Todd surprisingly defended Amy to his mother, though. I personally don't find that relevant, but a lot of people do. They think it shows that Todd did really care for Amy. But, I mean, it's obvious Todd didn't want Amy to leave him. So, of course, he defended her when his mom went off. Then in August, something really big happened. 
I don't know exactly how Amy found out, but she heard there was rumors spreading that she was having an affair, and this rocked Amy to the core. She was very frazzled that Todd would hear that. She called her old manager, Deb, from Manchester Hospital, where she was an RN, and was crying hysterically. Deb, her old manager, though, she said that she didn't even really know Amy when she worked at the hospital, so it was kind of weird Amy was calling her crying. Deb said they had the relationship where they would literally just see each other passing in the hallways at work and just say, hi, nice weather, things like that. They weren't friends. Deb didn't even have Amy's number saved when she called. Amy asked Deb if she'd heard rumors around the hospital that Amy was having an affair, and Deb was like, no. Amy asked Deb if she did hear the rumors to stop them because Todd would kill her if he heard them. And Amy told Deb that over and over. He'll kill me if he hears that rumor. In August, Amy also called her friend Angie one day and told her Tristan was refusing to get on the bus for school. He told Amy he was afraid his mom wouldn't be there when he got home because of the affair rumors. Amy was crying hysterically to her friend. And it was so bad that she was even hard to understand on the phone because she was so frazzled. Amy broke down and told Todd there were rumors of an affair, but she swore to him it wasn't true. And he said that he absolutely believed her and life went on. He did not give it another thought. Okay, pause. Isn't that weird? Like Amy was having an affair with Jerry, a farm employee. Why would she call her old hospital manager who she wasn't friends with? I've never been able to figure that out, but I think it's so weird. And someone made it sound like Tristan is the one who first heard the rumor and told his mom, I heard a rumor that you were having an affair and dad's going to find out. But that just seems really strange to me too. Amy confided in her friend Patricia a lot. They seemed to speak regularly. She would talk about Jerry and Todd constantly, how unhappy she was with Todd and that she wanted to leave him. Then one day in October, Todd gave Amy $1,500 just because, just for her to spend on whatever she wanted. Amy asked Patricia what she should spend the money on and Patricia was like, use it for a divorce. Duh. From October until Amy's death in November, Patricia tried to reroute their interactions and not focus on the negative and the situation with Todd and Jerry. The women had become workout partners recently, so Patricia kind of shifted her focus to that when they talked. It sounds like Patricia was kind of, you know, done with the drama. On November 4th, Amy had a non-invasive procedure. If I'm not mistaken, she had a uterine ablation. This is a procedure to help with excessive menstrual bleeding. It's minimally invasive outpatient procedure, meaning you go home the same day. Amy was instructed to take it easy after the surgery. So for almost a week, Amy didn't really do anything. According to some research I did, and I am not a medical professional, you guys, most women feel better within a couple days to a week of this procedure. Patients do experience vaginal bleeding and are to withhold from intercourse, tampons, anything that would be inserted from a couple days to a couple weeks, just depending on your personal recovery process. But as for lifting, pushing, or pulling objects over 10 pounds, patients are advised to wait a few weeks. Now, don't get it twisted. Some people literally return to work the same day or the next day. Um, I think it's okay to do normal things, walk around, cook, clean, etc. She wasn't completely bedridden or recovering from a major operation, but she definitely shouldn't have been doing anything strenuous. Next major event is November 10th, 2018, the day that Amy died. This would be six days after her surgery. The morning of November 10th, 2018, Todd said him and Tristan went to go work on some land belonging to Todd's brother. 
but the ground was too hard to work, so they decided to go back home and prep their barns for incoming piglets. When they got back to the house, Amy was chilling in her PJs doing a puzzle in the living room. She'd made breakfast for her, Taylor, and Wyatt, and there were some leftovers on the table. So Todd and Tristan came in, they had breakfast, they talked about their plans for the day. According to Todd, Amy was all hunky-dory and wanted to come help them prep the barn. However, in emails exchanged between Amy and Jerry that morning, she said, quote, You know what I'm doing today? Cleaning the light fixtures in the barn. WTF. End quote. So I'm not sure if she volunteered enthusiastically. Regardless, Todd and Tristan said it was about 930 when they headed out to the barns. Amy wasn't dressed yet, so she was a few minutes behind them. They delegated their tasks. Tristan's job was putting out the heaters. Amy was going to clean the light fixtures. And Todd was doing a variety of things to prep the pig pens. So to clean the light fixtures, Amy would stand on a five-gallon bucket. But she was visibly struggling, according to Todd and Tristan. When she would step down from the bucket, she would have to brace herself against something. Tristan was the first to vocalize his concern. He was just like, Mom, are you okay? And Amy said she was fine, just feeling a bit dizzy and lightheaded, but she continued anyway. Tristan and Todd, so they took turns continually checking on Amy, and then they all decided it was probably a good idea for her to go inside. Todd said Amy wanted to help because she didn't want to feel worthless. Don't forget, Amy had been gone 30 out of 60 days during harvest season, and she was afraid of him knowing she wanted to leave and have and was having an affair. So I could see tensions were probably high, and maybe that's why she insisted on helping and being a team player. It's good for camaraderie. So Todd and Tristan, knowing Amy wanted to help, suggested maybe she could just go grab the pet carrier that they had stored in the red barn and put it outside for them before she headed inside to rest. Todd says they all, they, Todd insists they told her that it was okay if she wasn't able to grab it though. What annoys the shit out of me is Todd and Tristan are like, yeah, Amy was struggling. So we kind of just suggested that she goes inside. And if you ask him, well, who suggested Amy go inside first or who exactly asked Amy to get the pet carrier? He won't say specifically. He just says like vaguely it was a conversation between all three of them. And he's like that about everything. Very general, which makes me think he's lying. Of course, that doesn't mean he killed Amy. He maybe was just being an asshole and doesn't want to like make it sound that way or make himself look guilty. Now, remember, Amy was less than a week post. Now, remember, Amy was less than a week post-op, and this pet carrier was about 20 pounds and shoved in this very messy red barn. She was already feeling faint and dizzy and not even supposed to carry anything that weighed heavier than 10 pounds. But Todd let her get the carrier anyway because she didn't want to feel worthless. So whatever. Amy left the barn. Todd estimates him and Tristan stayed working in the barn about another hour and a half maybe hour 15, something in that time frame. He didn't check the time. That's just a guesstimate. First, Todd and Tristan said they were together the entire time, except for the two times Tristan went to get water at the other end of the barn. And according to Todd and Tristan, that literally only took seconds. However, later Tristan says that he was maybe away from his dad a total of a minute or two. And then under oath, Tristan eventually says he didn't have anything to track time, so he can't definitively say how long his dad was out of his sight. So were they together the whole time? No one truly knows. 
Once they came to a stop, the guys decided to go inside the house and get a bite to eat. So they're standing in the barn office, washing up, about to go inside. They look out the window and they don't see the pet carrier. So while Todd is changing his boots and stuff, he tells Tristan to go to the red shed, get the pet carrier and go check on Amy. The reason Todd was changing his boots is because you change your shoes from barn to barn to avoid cross-contamination. When Todd stepped outside, he heard Tristan yelling for him. At first, he was like, what? And Tristan was just yelling something about mom. The barn was about 30 yards from the red shed. So Todd ran over to the shed, and that's where he found what Tristan was yelling about. Amy was slumped face down, sort of leaning against the barn door on the left side with a corn rake sticking out of her back. Where Amy was at is a pretty narrow opening between the barn and some big chemical containers. Tristan said when he found her, he tried checking her pulse or if she was breathing, but she seemed dead already. When Todd ran up, he said he tried lifting Amy's head and said, Amy, 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 but she was completely unresponsive. Todd told Tristan to go grab the truck while he pulled Amy out of the shed. Todd said he did try to pull her out of the barn shed with the corn rake in her back by lifting her below her armpits, but the rake kept getting caught in the chemical totes because it was such a narrow space. Go look at pictures. I got them posted. So Todd had to pull the corn rake out and he said it was actually really easy. It just popped right out. Tristan pulled the truck up and Todd said he looked like he was going to pass out. Tristan did. So Todd told Tristan get in the truck and with great difficulty he put Amy in the truck on Tristan's lap. Once they exited the driveway that is when Todd called 911. Like I said earlier 911 told him to pull over and had EMTs meet him. They take over CPR, transfer to the hospital and she's pronounced dead at 108. Todd went to the hospital with Amy and Tristan was taken home where police later came and Tristan showed them where he found his mom. Tristan told everyone, including CPS and police during the investigation, he was with his dad the entire time. But in trial, Tristan said his dad did get out of his view, but he doesn't have an accurate length of time at all. Tristan said he did not see or hear anybody else at their farm the day of the accident. Okay, here's the deal. Todd had a very calm demeanor given his wife died in a terrible, quote, accident. He lied about the state of his marriage. He lied about being suspicious of another affair. Friends and family are coming forward saying Amy wanted to leave him and she was afraid that he'd kill her before he'd let her leave and ruin everything he's worked for. His cameras were mysteriously down until the day after the accident. And most importantly, the Emmy ruled the death a homicide because someone can't fall on a rake twice, according to her. Police execute a search warrant for Todd's property and electronics. As far as physical evidence goes, everyone that could be considered a suspect in the police's eyes would have their DNA all over the farm anyway. So, I mean, aside from Amy, her clothes, the corn rake, and looking over the red shed, taking photos, there wasn't a lot of physical evidence to go off of. The next time police spoke with Todd, they told him that they didn't think Amy fell in an accident. He got surprisingly quiet and calm. Then they executed a search warrant on his property that included electronics. Some very interesting things were found in Todd's iPad search history. There were searches for signs your wife is cheating, what ancient cultures did to cheaters, searches made about the quote thrill of the hunt, which is a quote by Ernest Hemingway that says quote, those who have hunted armed men long enough and liked it never care for anything else thereafter. More searches were how to know if your kid is yours, DNA test without father knowing, starving to death, drowning, floating, punishment for killing cheating wife, 
body organ map, and porn. And there are many other suspicious searches, all of which Todd explains away. He says he didn't look up the signs of his wife was cheating or punishment for cheating wives. As far as anything historically related to cheaters and their punishment was because he and Amy were really into the History Channel and would look up historical stuff in relation to the shows all the time. He said he never questioned the paternity of his kids. He did look up the body organ map to show Taylor since she had questions about Amy's surgery. Starving, drowning, and floating, the kids all looked up after a swimming day they had to understand buoyancy. Porn was something him and Amy watched together so that Todd could stay aroused longer. And the thrill of the hunt quote was from a movie he watched. I mean, the man had an answer for everything. Some of them are pretty good answers, though. As suspicious as Google searches can be, Todd was not the only one with access to the iPad. See, the iPad had cell phone service, so you could use it out in the fields or anywhere you were at. And even though the kids all had tablets and a family laptop, those were restricted to the internet. So it wasn't uncommon for them to use Todd's iPad around the farm. Not to mention when police came for the electronics, the iPad wasn't even there. It was like in a tractor somewhere else and he had to go get it. So this means anybody who worked on the farm, even his family knew the password, had access and occasionally used the tablet. There are also many searches that were clearly not done by Todd. For example, Ohana tattoos. Amy planned to get a tattoo of this with one of her friends. There were searches for wedding dresses, wedding rings. I could go on and on. So in my opinion, no matter what was on the iPad, we can't prove who did what, so it's kind of irrelevant in my mind. Todd was arrested February 28th, 2019 for the first degree murder of Amy. Everyone testified. Amy's friends, family, old co-workers, her lover Jerry, the ME, investigators, Tristan, I mean everyone. And guess what? A lot of people think Todd did it because he wasn't going to let Amy divorce him and ruin his farm and everything he worked so hard to build. The prosecutors presented Todd jealous, wasn't going to let Amy leave. In a 30 to 45 second window, they said he ran out the rear exit, down and around the barn, into the red shed, hit Amy with the corn rake multiple times, and ran back to continue working like nothing happened. This run is about 650 feet one way. So, I mean, I know sometimes you got to come up with an alternative theory, but I just don't think that time frame is going to work. Amy's stepmom, Eileen, testified that she was actually Amy's friend before her stepmom. They met through a mutual friend in 2002, and Eileen said Amy told her about her first affair. And after the affair, about two and a half years after, Todd and Eileen talked about the affair in her kitchen one night. Todd had asked her if she knew about the affair, and Eileen said yes, but it looked like they were working things out and everything was fine. Todd said something along the lines of, quote, I have to, I'm not going to lose my farm and everything I've worked for. Eileen makes it very clear Todd did not mention losing Amy or his family being broken in that statement. He really only showed concern for the assets and what a divorce could do to him and his farm. This is what Amy was afraid of. Todd wouldn't let her go if it meant losing half of everything. It could collapse his entire farm, probably. Eileen also testified that while Amy was dealing with family away during those two months in the summer of 2018, Todd called and texted and expressed his frustration with Amy being gone and not helping. It was harvest season at the time, so there was a ton of work to be done, and um, he just didn't appreciate her absence. 
Eileen said Todd was clearly frustrated and angry with Amy, and he said to her they were having issues. Jerry's testimony was so gross to me. And with the emotional roller coaster Amy had been on with Todd, she deserved an extramarital affair that was worth the risk. Jerry said in his testimony, Todd told him firsthand that he had to know where Amy was at all times. As for Jerry, he did have an alibi the day Amy died. His son was visiting from college and could corroborate it. Todd maintained he did not think Amy was cheating on him at the time of her death. She was moody. He chalked it off to all the things she had going on with her family. Todd said in his testimony he was struggling and needing help at home during that summer while Amy was gone. And things got a bit tense, but not because he thought Amy was cheating on him or that she wanted to leave him at the time of her death. One of the most bizarre things came up during the trial also. Speculation about Todd's 911 call and if he called his wife a cheating whore. So his phone between his shoulder and his ear, he's doing chest compressions, his son's standing in the road looking to wave down the ambulance in case they pass by, and people think Todd may have said, damn it, just cheating whore, at the six minute and 53 second mark. And then at like the seven minute mark, he makes another remark sounding like, go to hell, cheating whore. But here, I'm going to play the clip and you can kind of decide for yourself if you think he said that she was a cheating whore or not. Todd, of course, insists he didn't say cheating whore. His attorney asked him, were you frantic? And Todd used the words, yes, I was very excited. The verbiage excited to me is a really bad choice of words, but that's just my opinion. Todd said he didn't know if someone was impaled by something, you should leave the object in. When asked why Todd didn't call 911 when he found Amy and wait for EMT to get there, he said because he is, quote, a doer. He just jumped into action to save his wife. From what I've heard, though, it's not uncommon for people who live remotely to drive themselves to the hospital. EMT are volunteer based that far out in some counties, so the response times can be completely unpredictable. Something that stands out to me is during Todd's testimony, he is very vague about his answers. Like I said earlier, he will not give exact or clear answers. If you ask him when Tristan yelled for you, what did he say? He'll be like, I don't know exactly. Just like mom, it wasn't clear. Or when they asked who got Amy to get the dog carrier, he'd say he and Tristan. When asked who told Amy to go inside, Todd said it was a conversation between all of us. He won't just say, I said, Amy, go inside. And then Amy said, no, I want to help. He doesn't just elaborate on any specifics to these conversations or details. I also find it odd Todd was so concerned Amy could barely get up and down from this bucket, but then asked her to get the pet carrier because of where the pet carrier was. That red shed was messy and filled with shit. It was not a clean, organized Yellowstone shed. This was a real farm shed, okay? It just seemed like an odd task if she was struggling. Not to mention, Amy was technically not supposed to carry anything as heavy as that animal carrier following her surgery. And when you point this out to Todd, it's like, hello, you sent her inside to rest because you were so concerned. Why did you send her out to the shed filled with junk if she was dizzy and faint? He just looked dumbfounded and maintains, Amy wanted to, and they told her if she didn't want to, she didn't have to, and that was fine too. Todd was ultimately found guilty of murder and the first degree and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
He appealed his decision and wanted to enter newfound evidence for his case, but due to COVID, a lot of things were delayed. As of April 6, 2023, Todd's defense filed a motion for his conviction to be overturned and requested a new trial. They based this on the new evidence in Todd's defense in his first trial. Todd claimed he didn't want to testify in his first trial and he didn't know that he had the legal right to refuse. Plus, he said he wanted his defense to argue Amy's death was clearly an accident and not a homicide, but they didn't really push that narrative. And and that's true. They didn't. Todd's defense in his first trial just really defended he didn't do it and offered very little else, like no real alternatives. Very interesting. I was asked to do an update on the case. That's why we're here talking about it again. And here is the new evidence. A lot of people find issue with how new the ME Dr. Cruz was, and she was. I mean, that's not deniable. Because of her lack of experience, they think that she skipped over some important steps. Like, for one, she didn't do an extensive drug panel screening for any medication Amy was prescribed. She just did a regular drug screening and toxicology report looking for commonly abused substances, alcohols, and poisons. I honestly don't know why that part would be super important. The ME had a list of Amy's prescribed medications and just did a standard testing panel, which isn't necessarily bad work to me. I'm also not like an ME or an attorney. With the panel that the ME did do, she could see if Amy was mixing medications with drugs and alcohol. What I think is a big deal about the ME is if it's true she did not go to the red shed on the Mollus farm and see the scene for herself... That's a no-no. She also didn't, quote, probe and map out the direction of Amy's puncture wounds. She stated from front to back and left to right, but there's technology she could have used to get a more precise view of the internal damage that Dr. Cruz chose not to move forward with. Unfortunately, Amy was cremated, so there's no exhuming her and looking back with this technology. Now, let's talk about where Amy was found. The area Amy was found in is believed to be too narrow for Todd to have had the ability to swing the corn rake with enough force. The widest part of this part of the red shed was three and a half feet and the narrowest was two feet. So to penetrate the skin, it would require about 200 pounds of pressure and to penetrate all of Amy's closed skin and that deep into her chest cavity would be about 365 pounds. I think it's possible because the rake wasn't that long. It's only like three and a half foot long. It's lightweight, but sharp. I do think Todd was more than strong enough. That's just an opinion. The thing about the new evidence, though, is it also supports, based on Amy's height and weight and the corn rake being lied on the floor, there is the possibility that she could have fallen on top of it with the trajectory matching. It does match up to that theory. Further proof to back up that alternative theory was Amy had on a shirt, hoodie, and coat. Now, her coat only had four puncture wounds. And if there's only four puncture wounds through the coat, hoodie, and shirt, it's speculated Todd couldn't have removed the rake and struck her two to three times. Her shirt and hoodie had more, though. Theorists believe, though, Amy fell on it, causing the original four marks, tried to get up and couldn't and fell again. And her shirt was just folded up to look like she was struck multiple times. So people think if there's only four puncture wounds through the coat and hoodie and shirt, Todd couldn't have removed the rake and struck her two to three times with enough force, like Dr. Cruz stated in her medical report, without creating more holes in her clothing. Listen, other than the first Emmy's medical report, I don't think anyone is saying Todd had to have struck her more than once. 
There's also the thought that maybe Todd struck her once and she created the other stabs trying to get up and save herself. I don't know. I don't know. But you got to admit, there's a lot to work with here. If everyone believed Todd and Tristan were with each other for all but 30 to 45 seconds, like presented in court, the new evidence maps out the distance and how out of breath Todd would be. Todd's supporters think it would be next to impossible for him to have slipped out, ran, killed Amy, snuck back in the barn, and wasn't noticeably out of breath and sweating in such a short amount of time. I'm sorry, but I have a 13, 11, 10, and almost 8-year-old. I know if I wanted to, I could definitely disappear for about five minutes and they wouldn't notice nor recollect that it had been five minutes. Or I could return super sweaty and out of breath after only one or two minutes and they wouldn't even ask probably. The main takeaway though is just the run and the murder itself couldn't have been done in such a short amount of time, which I agree, you couldn't get that done in 30 to 45 seconds. So... The naysayer's alternative theory is since Amy was already feeling lightheaded and dizzy, she must have felt faint in the shed. The red shed was very messy and filled with shit. The pet carrier Amy was supposed to grab was in a very narrow area. Amy would have had to reach over this carrier and kind of balance to move it, avoiding two augers that were on the ground. Behind Amy was the corn rake lying on the floor, prongs up. Amy trips and falls due to her dizziness onto the corn rake, gets puncture wounds A, B, C from the first three rake tines. And then Amy reached around her body with her left arm, tried to remove the rake, but she did this while part of her body was still on the rake, causing her to pull it forward and under her arm. This made her shoulder rotate back, causing her to fall right back there. And that's how she got poked with the fourth pine creating wound F. That's the one under her arm. Once that happened, it caused Amy's body to move, this slightly moving the corn rake, creating wounds A and B to get deeper into Amy's internal organs. Then Amy shifted her torso forward, let go of the handle with her hand, moved her shoulder out of the fourth tine, which was wound F. This movement caused the third tine to come around, which was in wound C. But her continued struggle with the rake caused tine three to create wound D. And that's the third tine comes out again in Amy's struggle to get the corn rake out. She used her left hand, moves the rake, slips again, and that's what made the rake create both wound C and D, wound E as well. After penetrating herself with the rake a third time trying to remove it, Amy is believed to have ultimately fallen back on the ground and probably could not stand up. So she would have crawled on her hands and knees, leaning farther forward than usual due to the rake hitting the ground behind her. There's another theory that's super similar also. It only changes the order of injuries, but ultimately speculates Amy fell further on the rake herself, trying to get free from it. The same experts who reconstructed Amy's death also created a 3D print model of the corn rake and used substitutes with similar height and weight to that of Amy and Todd to see if it was even possible to impale Amy with the corn rake in the same position the corn rake was found. They tried it with fake Amy standing on her hands, held in front of her body, Amy on her hands and knees, Amy lying on her right side exposed, and Amy bent over at the waist. None of the positions or theories of how Todd swung the rake to hit Amy in that position she was struck would likely work because the area lacked the lateral space to swing. A traditional overhead swing would hit Amy at the wrong angle, according to the second set of experts. So to summarize, they basically said there's not enough time for Todd to do this based on his son's original statements and that his dad was only out of his sight long enough for him to get a drink. 
of course, they are ruling this ultimately an accident, and that makes more sense to the second experts due to the lack of space in the shed. The second analysis I just reviewed with the alternative theory was performed by Dr. Susan Boley. Other experts have chimed in and written to Todd's defense attorney that they too support Dr. Boley's findings over the original Emmy's findings. So this entire case is turned into an expert versus expert trial, which is always annoying to me. I just hate when it comes down to that. Another thing Todd supporters consider evidence is a signed affidavit from Todd's original defense attorney, Gerald Fulham, 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 I don't know how to say his last name. He says he's been lead counsel in seven first degree murder trials and has been an attorney for 43 years. He put in his affidavit, he did not personally consult with any experts in this case, nor did he himself personally review the evidence. Although he discussed the need for a PI with a co-counselor, it's just not something they ultimately did. He also states he did not consider the accident theory because he himself grew up on a farm and didn't believe the theory himself. He didn't believe it. He does admit that during the 911 speculation in court, he could have and should have motioned for a mistrial, but didn't. This affidavit was sworn and signed by him April 6th of 2023. Here's what I ultimately think. I do think Todd did it or maybe had someone else do it for him. I do. But I do think the Emmy was very new, kind of fumbled a few things. I definitely think they they should have tested alternative theories. She should have gone to the red shed so she could rule everything out. And they should have just made it a more well-rounded investigation. They narrowed in on Todd too soon and didn't do like their due diligence. I don't think we can rely on a 13-year-old who is said to have idolized his dad for an accurate timeline. Not that I think he's covering for his dad, if his dad did do it. It just lacks logic that the kid couldn't have been wrong or lying because he didn't want Todd to get in trouble for something. Tristan didn't think his dad did. However, under the law, I do not think that they've met the burden of proof. I do think he had the worst defense, awful, awful, awful defense, no alternative theories. Um, So I do think that he deserves a fair trial. And I do think if they can't present better evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, they got to let him go, right? I think he'll probably get a new trial and a plea deal. I don't think he'll get an Alfred plea like Michael Peterson did just because he hasn't been in prison that long and hasn't exhausted all other legal avenues for release with this new evidence. But I will definitely keep you posted on updates and I'm really curious to hear what you guys think. So please let me know. Do you think he did it? Do you think he deserves a new trial? What do you think of the new evidence? You know where to find me. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.